Welcome to the Adoption and Foster Care Journey, a podcast to encourage, educate, and equip you to care for children and youth through adoption, foster, and kinship care. Hosted by an adoptive mom with over 22 years of kinship and adoptive parenting experience, she's on this journey with you. Please welcome Sandra Flack. You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord, the Lord himself, is the rock eternal. That is Isaiah chapter 26, verses 3 and 4. I'm your host, Sandra Flack. Welcome to the 20th bonus episode in our series, What Every Adoptive and Foster Parent Needs to Know About Trauma and FASD and all of the things with our special guest, Dr. Jared Brown. If you have not listened to the first 19 episodes of this podcast series, I encourage you to take some time to listen through them. You will be glad you did because we are diving deep into topics that are so crucial for all of us foster, adoptive, and kinship caregivers. I have been learning so much and taking notes. You're going to want to take notes. So grab a notebook, a pen, Uh, feel free to pause right now and go grab one so that you can take notes or just keep listening. And then, you know, one of the great things about a podcast is you can listen again a second time. So if you listen through and feel like, oh, I wish I'd have taken notes, you can just listen again later on and take notes then. So either way, it's going to be excellent content. You're not going to want to miss a word of it. So I just am so grateful that we've been able to provide this bonus series. Regular episodes of the Adoption and Foster Care Journey drop into your inbox onto your device on Mondays. Uh, We offer a podcast every Monday, but this series with Dr. Brown, we are considering them bonus episodes and they are dropping on Fridays. Not every single Friday, but throughout the past several months, we've released Friday episodes with Dr. Jared Brown um, so that they're just sort of like an extra special, um, you know, dose of encouragement and equipping that we want to provide you in addition to our regular Monday episodes. So uh, make sure that you subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any of them, uh, our Mondays, our Fridays, whatever. And if you're wondering about, if you if you haven't listened to all of the bonus episodes, if you just scroll back through our library, you'll see, because they'll be in the title, it'll say it's a bonus episode with Dr. Brown. But make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any of our um, podcasts. And uh, it, it just really will help others also to be able to find this podcast because, you know, it's a vital resource for the journey. Um, and also... Speaking of vital resources, we have more resources and upcoming trainings for you right after this. Natalie Vecchione of the FASD Hope Podcast and Sandra Flack of the Adoption and Foster Care Journey Podcast would like to invite you to join their Hope for the FASD Journey, a virtual support community for parents and caregivers raising individuals with an FASD, diagnosed or not. This faith-based community includes an online bi-monthly support group, a monthly VIP conversation, and a private Facebook group 
which includes a video devotional from Natalie and Sandra every Saturday. To register, visit justicefororphansny.org forward slash training forward slash F-A-S-D. And coming up in March, I'm offering another free one-hour Lunch and Learn, which is an introduction to fetal alcohol spectrum disorders, just as much as we can cover in an hour. Um, That will be on Thursday, March 16th at 1 p.m. Eastern Time. And now that I am officially a certified facilitator of the FACETS neurobehavioral model, um, I'm offering a three-hour deep dive into FASD using the FACETS model. That three-hour workshop online is going to be Wednesday, March 8th at 7 p.m. Eastern, and I'm offering it again. So there's, you have two different opportunities to take advantage of the three-hour training. Um, that is gonna be, um, the second one is gonna be Thursday, March 30th, also at 7 p.m. So it's just one of those sessions. It's a three-hour session, and you can do either March um, 8th or March 30th, um, and they're both at 7 p.m. Eastern time. And because we've had folks asking, I'm also going to be doing a really deep dive. I don't know if I should be calling these deep, deeper and deepest, but the, the, we, we offer an 18 hour, um, 18 hours of content using the FACETS neurobehavioral model. So we kind of unpack it in six three-hour sessions, um, which I'm going to be offering on Wednesday evenings. The first one is going to be coming up on February 22nd um, at 7 p.m. Eastern time. So we're going to be hitting uh, six Wednesday nights. They're not consecutive. There's one um, because I already have a three-hour scheduled. But if you go to our website, you'll be able to see all of the dates for that. But it's going to be 18 hours of content unpacked over six three-hour sessions, all 18 hours using the FACETS neurobehavioral model. Um, That will begin on Wednesday, February 22nd at 7 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, There is a registration fee for the three-hour and the 18-hour. The the Lunch and Learn is always free. Uh, But to sign up for any of them, you have to go to our website so that you can do that because you're going to need to get the Zoom link because these are all um, online uh, workshops. So you would go to our website, justicefororphansny.org, and click events, and then you'll see the drop-down menu and all the different trainings that are being offered. We do provide certificates of completion, whether it's the lunch and learn, the three-hour, the 18-hour. Um, at the completion of each one, you will get a certificate saying that you participated and that um, uh, with your name on it so that you can get credit for it. If you're a, if you're a foster parent or a parent needing to keep track of your continuing you know, education hours and that kind of thing, we provide that for you. Um, if you're a professional and you want it for your employer, we also provide it. Um, we will be, um, hope, hopefully, because we've applied in New York State to be able to offer CEUs, continuing education, education units for social workers, we're waiting to receive that accreditation. Um, so we're not able to offer CEUs yet yet, um, but that's going to be coming. Um, But for now, we do have certificates for anybody who participates in any of the trainings. So that's all coming up. 
now to our guest, back again, Dr. Jared Brown, PhD. He's an assistant professor for Concordia University in St. Paul, Minnesota. Jared has been employed with Pathways Counseling Center in St. Paul for the past 17 years. Pathways provides programs and services benefiting individuals impacted by mental illness and addictions. Jared is also the founder and CEO of the American Institute for the Advancement of Forensic Studies and the editor-in-chief of Forensic Scholars Today. Jared has completed four separate master's degree programs and holds graduate certificates in autism spectrum disorder, other health disabilities, and traumatic brain injuries. He is also an FASD trainer, an autism specialist, and a mental health integrative medicine provider. That just means he knows a whole lot about what he's talking about, and we are grateful to have him back on the show. Welcome back, Jared. Hey, Sandra. Thanks for having me. Oh my goodness, it's been such a wonderful series that we've been doing with you and, and, and bringing all of your expertise and the, the, the science and the research to these topics. And I'm just grateful. I know our audience has been loving our episodes. I know we're kind of winding down a little bit with them, um, but we always want to keep the door open for you to come back and share more as we, uh, we learn about more um, conversations that we can have. So thank you for for continuing to come back and entertain us here and i should say educate us more than entertain us i'm probably the entertainment and you're the educator (laughs) (laughs) you're welcome honored to do this and definitely i think this is the second to the last one that we have scheduled in the series i don't know how many would that be after the last two how many we've done i've lost track yeah i think today is maybe the 20th or the 21st one somewhere around in there Okay, that went yeah. fast for me. Yeah, anyway. <laughs> it did. It did. I know, but we're we're soaking it all up and greatly appreciate it. Like I said, um, oh, you bet. Yeah, yeah, and and I know our last episode we talked about attachment. Um, certainly, a very important topic for foster and adoptive parents. Um, and today, you're going to unpack something called sluggish cognitive tempo, and. I had not ever heard of that phrase or that terminology before until until you brought it up, but I have a feeling I might be a little bit more familiar with it than I realize. So as you unpack it, I'll know. Um, but, but, but Dr. Brown, would you start by defining sluggish cognitive tempo? What is it? You bet. So you got sluggish, slow. The cognitive relates to mental and the tempo relates to speed. So you got sluggish cognitive tempo. This really fascinating topic. I I didn't know much about this up until a couple of years ago either. There's there's really no training on this that I'm aware of. It's not talked about in any of my classes or degrees, anything like that. But as I started to come across this topic a few years ago, there's a lot of articles, literature written on the topic. And this history is quite interesting. This topic the term was actually coined in the 80s. So it's been around a while. Wow. The symptoms of sluggish cognitive tempo look a lot like inattentive ADHD. So inattentive ADHD, it's going to be someone that has a lot lot of excessive daydreaming. Maybe they're just really slow in their physical activity. They're forgetful. They're lethargic. You ask questions. They seem just 
deers in the headlights. They lose train of thought mid-sentence. They have very slow processing speed. I know we talked about processing speed mm-hmm. a few times in this series. So I was, as I dug into this, a lot of it was talked about in the ADHD arena. It really came out of the ADHD world originally. But since that time, there's been numerous studies that have shown that this really co-occurs with a lot of different disorders and factors, including trauma, including FASD. If you go in the FASD literature, you're going to find very, very little on this, but there are a few articles that do talk about sluggish cognitive tempo within the context of FASD literature. So when you think of sluggish cognitive tempo, it's broken down into some different domains I'll try to present this in a way where it makes sense, but we have a cognitive domain. So that's going to be more daydreaming, someone who's more absent-minded. They lose train of thought, maybe mid-sentence, and they can have flux, really fluctuations of alertness. So maybe they're alert one minute and just checked out the next. You have behavioral dimensions of this. This is going to be someone that may have a tendency to be really drowsy, they're really slow in their thinking. So again, you ask questions and they're just very slow in the responses and slow performance. Can you imagine a child or a teenager with this who has this, goes to school, the school teachers do not know anything about this. This person could absolutely look like they're lazy and doesn't want to be there. They're unmotivated. They have low initiation. They're sitting in the classroom. They're always daydreaming, not paying attention to anything. What happens in some cases? Child gets referred to a specialist. Maybe they get diagnosed with something they don't have. It's a really interesting topic. And as I started learning more about this, I I clearly see people with this. But mm. have they ever had this official diagnosis? Probably not. How frequent is this? How often does this come up in the general population? Not a lot of literature out there. There was one study I'm aware of um, around a decade ago. According to this particular study, I think the sample was around 1,800 children aged 6 to 17 years of age in the United States. They found about 6% of children out of that 1,800 sample had higher levels of sluggish cognitive tempo. How does that equate to the general population for everybody? I don't know, but this study pointed out around 6%. So it is something we're going to see on on occasion. This can also contribute to more internalizing problems. So internalizing problems are going to be more issues with like depression, anxiety, sleep problems, social withdrawal extreme shyness, these kind of things. So internalizing symptoms, these are symptoms experienced by the person inwardly. And when you study internalizing symptoms, be aware of the topic of externalizing symptoms as well. It's really a spectrum. Internalizing inwardly experienced, externalizing symptoms is going to be a lot easier for us to see in a child or a teenager or an adult. That's going to be more defiant behaviors, getting into fights, yelling, screaming, drug use, just things that we can see, society can see. Internalizing issues, harder to see. I'll stop for a second, but I wanted 
see if you have any thoughts and then I can talk a little bit about like some of the causes for this, some of the associated impairments, those kind of things. Yeah, I find it to be very interesting because, um, you know, you were talking about some of the things, the deer in the headlights, the um, just, you know, the ADHD kind of stuff, the intensive ADHD, um, excessive daydreaming, lethargic. I know um, one of my kiddos, um, when when she came many, many years ago, um, she presented in this she presented a lot of those things and at the time I kind of assumed because she she just did everything very slowly um but she had been living with and being raised by for a couple of years um her elderly grandmother who was like 80 um so she I I always chalked it up to well she's living the lifestyle of an 80 year old woman she doesn't you know like we went to the mall you know early on when we had her we our family went to the mall and she could barely keep up with just keep up with leisurely walking around the mall and I thought, you know, she just she has to make up some time here to be able to keep up with her own peers. But now I'm wondering if it could have been, you know, this the sluggish cognitive tempo. She often looked like she was daydreaming when she was doing her schoolwork. She always had that far away, you know, look on her in her eyes. So I know that she was a kid that came to us having had trauma. Um, I now suspect there may have been some prenatal exposure to alcohol, um, but it's interesting because I kind of feel like some of those, some of the symptoms that you listed, um, even even the internal and the external, sound a lot like the secondary and tertiary characteristics of FASD. So a lot of overlapping, the slow processing, the not paying attention, the the forgetfulness, um, all of those things. Um, I, I just feel like it all it can all look similar, you know, and how do we how do we kind of comb through and see what's really going on? Um, but I, maybe that'll come out as we as we talk through this, because I am curious to know what causes it, because maybe trauma, maybe is FASD, like what causes sluggish cognitive tempo? Well, the research leans to the fact that obviously, like all these things, there's not one cause, but they found that these symptoms may be higher among kids who have parents with lower education levels, lower household income. So looking at poverty factors, socioeconomic factors, they've also a couple studies have shown that symptoms might be higher in kids who have parents that have higher levels of parental unemployment dyslexia this has been talked about within that context and exposure to smoking as well so really just a lot of factors sluggish cognitive tempo has been linked to negatively impacting reading abilities how we use language effectively, organization, how someone gets along with peers. It's a factor that can get in the way of completing homework on time. It's also been shown that it can be associated in some cases with poor information processing, lower levels of inhibition. We talked about inhibition before in this series. Something called mind wandering. That's just someone that's always just drifting off, can't ever stay focused. That can be actually quite dangerous if someone's driving or walking down the street and they're not paying attention to their surroundings. 
this has also been linked to having more social dysfunction as well. So it's tough to know what is the actual cause, but that's kind of what the literature says. For some people with this too, some of the associated consequences have been linked to having more emotional dysregulation and difficulties with problem solving and issues with self-organization and self-management. And it's also been linked to having higher depression-related symptoms as well. There's a couple articles, too, that have talked about this within the context of executive functioning deficits. By no means am I saying everyone with executive functioning impairments has sluggish cognitive tempo, but in some cases, it could co-occur. A couple studies have looked at this within the context of autism, fetal alcohol syndrome, ADHD, of course, a um, little bit on trauma, not as much, but there are articles out there. I know there's an article that was published in 2020. The title of that article, if people want to look at this through that trauma lens, it's called Sluggish Cognitive Tempo and Exposure to Interpersonal Trauma in Children. And the results from this study suggested that sluggish cognitive tempo was associated with having more exposure to interpersonal trauma in childhood. Unfortunately, too, there's a couple studies, too, that have looked at this within the context of people who have suicidal thinking or at risk for suicide. And because sluggish cognitive tempo is sometimes associated with increases in depression, isolation, loneliness, emotional dysregulation, those could be potential factors that may increase the risk of suicidal behavior for some people. Another study looked at this within the context of social withdrawal and lower self-esteem as well. So again, if someone has this, a lot of times they're never going to know they have this. So they may start thinking, what's wrong with me? Or everyone else around them starts treating them like, they don't get it, they're lazy, they're worthless, they start internalizing that. Obviously, that can contribute to all kinds of different issues. A couple studies have looked at this, that sluggish cognitive tempo may be elevated in young individuals who have epilepsy. Daytime sleepiness, like really excessive unexplained daytime sleepiness. And a couple studies have also looked at this within the context of like thyroid functioning issues. So that could be a potential factor as well. A lot of screening tools out there on this, too many to talk about, but there's actually lots and lots of screening tools. So someone just Googled sluggish cognitive tempo screening tools, you're going to find actually quite a bit. And interestingly, too, sluggish cognitive tempo has been talked about in this literature of getting in the way of goal achievement and goal-directed behavior. So if you're noticing red flag indicators, patterns of any of these things that I'm saying today, and if that person has a really hard time achieving their goals, maybe dig deeper into this. Could that be another layer that we're never considering Again, there's a million layers to take into account, but this could be another factor we want to consider. Before I get into interventions too, Sandra, any um, thoughts on that? Yeah, I'm just curious because so much of it overlaps with some of the other topics that we've talked about, as well as just even the the um, symptoms of 
fetal alcohol spectrum disorders and, and, and even trauma. So, so um, has there been any research and any studies to indicate that um, childhood trauma, prenatal exposure to alcohol or other substances, would that cause sluggish cognitive tempo or is it something that was already there and it would have an adverse effect on it and make it worse? Well, I, I think it, this, some of the research has looked at like exposure to prenatal alcohol exposure and it may be higher in people exposed to alcohol in utero. It's looked a little bit about like smoking exposure. So again, yeah, definitely just being aware of any prenatal trauma, early childhood trauma. Not every child that has been exposed to trauma is going to have this, but some of those studies lean to the fact that it may be elevated in kids with more extensive trauma histories. And we know, again, trauma can wreak havoc on the brain and the body. So it does not help the situation. So we, we, I don't think we can go wrong again, like any of these topics. If you're noticing these red flag indicators, screen for these things, get them to a medical doctor. Maybe there's a thyroid issue. Maybe there's some nutritional deficiencies. Maybe they're chronically sleep deprived. Maybe there's some executive functioning impairments. So just another topic for us to learn about and to be aware of that it does come up and it is supported in this literature. And the more we can rule out all of these different branches and leaves, we can then tackle the core issue, I think, much more effectively. And I know you mentioned um, some screening tools. So um, if a parent or caregiver suspects like sluggish cognitive tempo could be a thing with one of their kids, um, you know, can it be diagnosed? Who do we go to? How do we how do we find out? Is there is, can it be diagnosed? Maybe consulting with like a child psychologist, child developmental psychologist, someone that has specialty. Um, there are different screening tools that come up in this literature. One of them is called the Adult Concentration Inventory. There's another one called the Berkeley sluggish cognitive tempo scale for children and adolescents. There's another tool called the child concentration inventory. Many, many more. Those are just a few, but there's a lot in this literature that talk about some of these measures that can help identify this. So those would be a few that professionals might want to like be aware of or get some training in. And, and by no means is that all encompassing list, but those are just a few that definitely are supported in this research literature base. So you would suggest looking up the articles, reading them, finding out more, and then bringing that to uh, our child's psychologist or doctor to find out if they can get these screening tools to find out more. Possibly, or talking to their pediatrician, the medical doctor, the psychologist, psychiatrist, and ask them, do you ever do any kind of screening for this? I'm noticing my child has a lot of symptoms that are indicative of this. Would this be something to rule out? Bring it to them because some of them might know about this. In my experience, again, most professionals have had little training or awareness in this topic, even though if you go online, like the Google Scholar, you will find numerous articles that have been published about sluggish cognitive tempo since the 1980s. 
Wow. So very interesting. Um, yeah, it really is. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, whether we can get a diagnosis or not for our kids, you know, because some, sometimes that's even a, a chore in and of itself. Um, but if we suspect that any of these things are going on, if the symptoms the, um, that you were listing off for us sound familiar, like I know they, it was, they were dinging some bells for me, um, you know, if a parent or caregiver feels like they're seeing symptoms of sluggish cognitive tempo, how do we help our kids aside from trying to get a diagnosis? Um, can it be improved or corrected or healed? What do we do as, as parents or caregivers? All the basic things, get nutrition under control, exercise, just get better sleep, engage in cognitively stimulating activities, those kind of things we've talked about over and over again in this series. But in the, in the sluggish cognitive tempo literature, there, there was an article that was published, quite interesting, that talks about the use of group drumming. I don't know if you've ever heard of that, but there's actually some training programs online that talk about group drumming. So group drumming is more like re, really a like therapeutic drumming or recreational music activity where it's been shown to help enhance emotional and social skills. It's been shown to help promote um, connection with other people. So group drumming is a really fascinating topic you'd want to be aware of. And that's actually been studied within the context of a lot of different disorders. I think there's a couple studies that looked at the use of group drumming with kids with autism. So it had some promising effects as well. If you look at this literature too, the impairments associated with sluggish cognitive tempo can have a negative impact on romantic relationships, on friendships, on parenting, on how we do in our job and management of our finances. These are all targeted areas to be aware of. And if you notice that the person maybe has some limitations in any of those areas, those would be some important target areas for treatment and intervention. It's also been linked to having more social skill problems. So more social dysfunction, more social isolation, a greater likelihood of having like peer rejection and then contributing to more loneliness and anxiety. And then this trickles down to impact mental health, depression, anxiety, low self-worth, target social skills. Another area, another big, big intervention we would want to be aware of enhancing social skills. Another very important topic for us to be aware of couple articles also, again, talk about this within the context of processing speed. So really being aware of how that person processes information. Because if someone has low processing speed, that could be linked to prenatal alcohol exposure, trauma, Mm -hmm. insomnia. It could be sleep apnea has been talked about that can impact this, drug use, mental health problems working memory deficits, even sensory issues. And for some people, they may struggle with multitasking or divided attention. And sluggish cognitive tempo can be a factor in processing speed. So strength and processing speed too is another variable we'd want to take into account. There's another study out there that showed that lower iron levels, so postnatal iron deficiency, may play a role in the development of sluggish cognitive tempo. 
So I just point that out. Another good reason to maybe talk to your healthcare provider, run tests, make sure the person has adequate nutrition, all of these things. So lots of things to take into account. It could be nutritional factors, neurological factors, social factors. The list goes on and on and on. Wow. Wow. Always, always you provide us with so much amazing information. Um, I feel like we definitely see a pattern, you know, over our episodes of really paying attention to nutrition and sleep and exercise. You know, we usually mention screen time and things like that, too. And I've been noticing that in my own, um, you know, with, with my kids, but also with myself realizing, you know, too much sugar or these other things definitely affect um you know, uh, feeling foggy sometimes, you know, and I've been able to connect that to what what I'm eating. So these are definitely um, such important um, topics to look at and, 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 and preventative men, you know, measures with the nutrition and the exercise, um, paying attention to sleep and all of those things. So, so, so important. Um, any other thoughts on this? I know, I know this isn't, there's not a whole lot out there. I think if our listeners want more, definitely do some research, look, look for these articles online to be able to kind of dig a little bit deeper if you want to, but any last thoughts on the topic of sluggish cognitive tempo? I would say too, there, I know at least one study that has looked at this too within the context of theory of mind. So I would recommend your audience really be aware of the theory of mind deficits. And the one study pointed to the fact that theory of mind impairments, particularly in the cognitive domain of theory of mind, was associated with increased severity in sluggish cognitive tempo symptoms. So a lot of moving parts with this, but understanding theory of mind, executive function, all these things can be helpful too. And these are all topics we've covered in this 20 part series. Yeah, absolutely. Always. I always recommend our listeners go back. If you're, if you're new to this podcast, if you haven't caught all 20 of these episodes, go back through and look, it'll be well worth your time because, because Dr. Brown unpacks all of those important topics and and gives us a a clear, a more clear understanding. So, um, you know, and you did it again today. You took us to school again today, Dr. Brown. So um, thank you so much uh, for educating us on um, really what we need to know as parents and caregivers. And, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to our next conversation when we talk about the central nervous system uh, dysfunction and trauma. Um, I'm sure that's going to be another important and eye-opening topic. Um, So thank you so much for unpacking sluggish cognitive tempo for us today and giving us giving us something to start to to reel in here and then um our next episode too on uh, the central nervous system so thank you so much for being with us again today you're welcome my friend thanks for having me back thank you wow what another great episode with dr jared brown um i hope that you are getting as much out of these episodes as i am um and i appreciate you for joining us today um you know, sluggish cognitive tempo. That's a that's a huge one. Um, something I didn't really, I never, I don't recall. It's been around since the 80s, and I don't ever recall hearing that term. But um, a lot of what he was describing sounds very, very familiar um, when thinking about about my kids. Maybe that's the same case for you. Um, next time we're going to be talking about the central nervous system and trauma. Um, so that's going to be a super important one too. So make sure you stay tuned for that one. 
Um, and remember, our regular episodes drop on Mondays. Uh, and make sure you catch those and these bonus episodes and not to miss one. So make sure you sub- subscribe to this podcast. I would greatly, greatly appreciate it. Um, don't forget our resources for parents and caregivers struggling on this journey. You know, sometimes we have good days and sometimes we have not so good days, uh, but we need each other. And I've got lots of resources. Um, we've got our our um, support for our support community, which is the Hope for the FASD journey. Natalie Vecchione and I are hosting that group together. We've been having a wonderful time. Our group is growing, so make sure you don't miss out on that. Um, And then our other resources, the free lunch and learn, the deep dives into FASD. Um, Again, all of this information can be accessed on our website, justicefororphansny.org. Make sure you check that out. Um, Always like to give a shout out to our Care Portal County sponsors who help justice for orphans do what we do and we can bring you great shows like this podcast as well as our boots on the ground in the capital region of upstate new york um, helping families who are in crisis by stabilizing situations and helping kids and and uh, preventing kids from entering foster care when when we can do that and um, supporting kinship caregivers and foster parents so we got a lot of great work here that we do you can learn about all of it on our website but a shout out to Tri-Nuclear Corporation, Bishop Boundary Construction, National Bank of Kosaki, Cullman Insurance, and Cedar Shade Farm. These are some local businesses who care about children and families. Be sure to find and follow uh, Justice for Orphans on both Facebook and Instagram. And LinkedIn now we are. Um, And myself, Sandra Flack, on all of those platforms. Check us out. Follow along. Reach out. Connect. We'd love to hear from you. I am grateful that you spent your valuable time with me today. Thrilled to have you along for the journey. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Adoption and Foster Care Journey podcast, brought to you by Justice for Orphans. We hope you were encouraged today. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast and leave a review and share it with your fellow foster and adoptive parent friends so they can be encouraged too. Be sure to find and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Justice for Orphans. And check out our website for vital resources at justicefororphansny.org.